He's a good, good father. Amen, amen, amen. What a privilege to be back with you tonight. And I'm just hearing that old gospel song. I don't feel no ways tired. Of course, I had a nap on the way here, but that's, that's neither here nor there. And I'm ready for the Holy Ghost to move and to have its way in the place. So good to be with you again. High honor to your pastor and first lady. High honor to my friend, the Smiths. We love them, all their family. Uh, that little lady there, Luscious, love her a lot. And that's Lois. Luscious is my name for her, and you can call her Lois. But so glad that Lois is in the house with us today. Don't forget her ministry on the table outside. And uh, let's just jump right in. Happy New Year's. Look with me. I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, they were somewhat excited for the beginning of a new year, but even more people said they're very excited about the closing of the old year. And sometimes that's the best thing about new beginnings is that you get to shut the door on the old things. <laughs> but we've got some great things to look forward to in 2023. Amen, amen. Read with me from Mark chapter 8. All along as I begin to read in verse 22, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And Jesus cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes... There's just no other way to read that. When he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored. And saw every man clearly. Interesting word, restoration, restored. And saw every man clear. Preaching today about visual memory. Visual memory. God bless you, you may be seated. I have been instructed from the first moment that I was given opportunity to minister behind a pulpit. That in my studying of the Word of God, I needed to be contextually correct. That I needed to look at the verse where I was attracted to and then read the verses before and the verses after. Just on the way over here today, the wise man Steve Smith was saying that Hebrews 11 cannot even be understood unless you understand Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12. Context is very important. And in this text that we read today, context is extremely important. So understand where we are coming from. Jesus just fed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fishes. And after this little happy meal was blessed and breaking and 4,000 had eaten, then seven basketfuls were left over. Now Jesus immediately tells the disciple, let's get in the ship 
and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Traveling across the Sea of Galilee, they come to a region that we see in the scripture known as Dalmanutha. How many of you heard of Dalmanutha? Probably not too many, because when Jesus and the disciples get there, they meet them, the Pharisees meet Jesus with questions trying to trip him up, trick him, and to confuse the other people that are there in their memory. And Jesus doesn't argue with them, he doesn't straighten them out, he just decides, hey, if you don't want the provision that I just showed, if you don't want the miracles that I have been demonstrated, if you don't want the healing that my ministry is, I'll just go somewhere else. And even though they just made a long trip across the sea, they get back in the ship and they head back. And now on the way back, we begin to see context of where we're at. Jesus begins to say to them, because this is an excellent teaching moment, he has a captive audience. It's either listen to him teach or jump out of the boat, right? So they're a captive audience. And he begins to tell them, you need to be very careful. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now we understand through other gospels that he was speaking of leaven as being doctrine. And the leaven of a bread that spreads throughout the whole bread. That a doctrine of an ideology of an individual will spread through your whole life. But when he says this, the disciples are thinking so temporal, so natural, that they're nudging one another and saying, ah, man, he's, he's chiding us because we just came from a miracle where there were seven basketfuls of bread left over and we don't have a single loaf on the boat. We've been poor stewards of our leftovers. We let it waste. We threw it out. We don't know where it's at. The bread is not here. And they think because their mindset is temporal, he's talking about the natural, the carnal. And when Jesus perceives that that's where their mindset is, he begins to ask them questions. Why do you reason or reasoning with the statements because of lack of bringing bread? Don't you know who I am? Were you not there when I just fed 4,000 and how many basketfuls were left over? Well, seven. And do you remember not too long before where I fed 5,000 and how many basketfuls were left over? Well, 12 that day, Master. So can't you see I don't need you to bring a loaf of bread on the boat. I am Jehovah Jireh and I will provide for you. So I'm not talking about temporal. I'm not talking about the natural. Now we see the exasperation of heaven. And this theme that you see throughout the entire word of God. This is mentioned in the law. It's mentioned in the prophets. It's mentioned in all four gospels. It's in the acts of the apostles. It's in the epistles. It's even in the last book in your Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's this theme. It's the exasperation of heaven. People have eyes to see, but they don't see. They've got ears to hear, but they don't hear. They've got a heart that should have understanding, but there's lack of understanding within them. He's not speaking of the temporal or the natural. He's speaking of the eternal. And while most of us have physical ears to hear or perhaps physical eyes to see, he's not speaking of the physical. He's speaking of the spiritual. 
that just like there's a physical realm, there is a spiritual realm. And the physical realm is temporal. But the spiritual realm is eternal. The physical realm is a shadow. It teaches us of the truth of the spiritual realm. We have to have eyes in the spirit and we've got to vision or see it. We need ears. Somebody needs to put their ear to the spiritual realm and hear what thus saith the word of God. We've got to go into these last days of 2023 knowing that we see the vision that God is speaking and the harvest that God has given us. We have to have a heart of understanding. This is the context by which Jesus was teaching them. And as he is perhaps finishing up his teaching, the boat hits the shore on the other side and they find that they have come to the port city of Bethsaida. And when Jesus goes into the city, they rush to meet him. They have great faith and they demonstrate it. They have got great belief in his miracle working power. For they bring to him a man blind. And this is what they say. Touch him. Because Jesus, if you touch him, he'll never be the same again. They've got great faith that Jesus will do a miracle. Because they have seen it many, many, many times. Jesus has visited this port city many times with the miraculous and the supernatural. So they have great faith, but Jesus does an interesting move. The Bible says that first he took him by the hand and led him outside of the city. Very important. One reason why I'll get to in a second, but the other reason is this. Is that the journey of healing that this man needed to go on was going to be one that would bring a little shame. A little embarrassment to the man. And Jesus is not big on embarrassing individuals. He doesn't want to intimidate and bring fear to you because of his great power. He doesn't want to prove to you that he's so anointed and shame you. He is in love with you and he wants to do everything he can to protect you from these things. And so he takes him by the hand And leads him outside the city. And then we find Jesus beginning the journey of healing for this man. As he. As he. As he spits. In his eyes. You know, people are so confused about the miraculous power of our Savior. And oftentimes, individuals, even individuals built entire healing ministries and put tents up all over our world in the last uh, century and travel all across with these unique, crazy things about how you can receive healing. I've read the stories. I've heard the stories recently there was a Canadian that so, so-called operated in healing through the power of God. And one of the things that he did is he would dress up in combat fatigue, wearing combat boots. 
And one of the stories declared that he raced across the platform and kicked the lady in the chest who had cancer. People do crazy things like that because they read stuff like this. And there's no understanding of what's going on. This is not the way Jesus operated. He didn't take into visions and said, oh, your foot is hurting? Well, let me twist your arm behind your back. Does your foot feel better? It looks like only on the surface that Jesus is doing these exotic things and he's kind of showing off and doing all these weird stuff, spitting in eyes and talking about all of this dipping in the river joy. It looks like that God operates in the exotic, but these are journeys that are very specific for the individual. If the individual doesn't go through this journey, there's no operation that will bring them to a place of their healing. So, I wanted to look it up because I felt sure, hey, I'm going to find somewhere in the Bible, the infallible Word of God, that declares that the spittle of God is healing to mankind. So I went on a search. It wasn't there anywhere. I, I even looked in Song of Solomon. You know crazy stuff in there. And I couldn't, I couldn't find it anywhere. In fact, over and over, this is what I found, that spit is representation of shame. Judgment, punishment. In the Old Testament, it was the kinsman redeemer that refused to marry the woman that was his responsibility. When he refused to take up his responsibility, she would spit on him. Shame on you. God says in the Old Testament, a nation that forgets about God, I will spew them out of my mouth. We need to hear that over and over. In the New Testament, we find that they spit upon Jesus as he's walking down the Via Dolorosa. This is not some healing. This is not blessing. But they're trying to show vile judgment and shame. And that's exactly what's happening here. So the only way this makes sense is to do some studying and find out what's going on. In Matthew 11, there's insight. Because Matthew 11 begins to tell us this. Jesus, verse 20, began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. There's our city that he's in. For the mighty works which are done in you have been done in Tyre and Sodom. They have remained long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted in heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works were done in thee, have been done in Sodom, it remain unto this day. What he's saying is this. There are three cities on the northern shore of the Sea of the Galilee. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. That's an eight-mile radius. And the Bible said that most of his mighty works were done in these three cities. Is that mind-blowing? Most of his mighty works were done in these three cities. Now, if you understand spiritual authority, you understand what's going on. Because when God calls an individual, he gives him authority in geographical regions or in spiritual regions and opportunities. And when you operate where you have spiritual authority, you're very powerful. If you get out from under the authority from which you have been given, then you become sounding brass tinkling cymbals. 
The authority of which he operated in Galilee is these three cities. Chorazin, Capernaum, Bethsaida. But the scripture says here that these cities received miracle after miracle, healing after healing, and they repented not. So the time has now come. Jesus isn't interested in just doing miracles so that he can prove that he's a miracle worker. But he does miracles so that you would know he is your Savior. That's what it says in the Word of God. So that you may know the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He does the physical miracle first so that he can deal with the soul. So he has been to Bethsaida time after time after time and they love the miracles. They have great faith. But they ain't changed. They're not repented. And so you will not find another miracle happening in Bethsaida. In fact, to do this healing, Jesus takes him by the hand and gets him outside the town. There is an opportunity that we have a time period that we have where God will show miracles, signs, and wonders to us so that we might believe and in believing, repent and change our lives. But if we refuse to repent, God will withdraw His provision. He'll withdraw His healing. He'll withdraw His miracles. This ain't popular preaching in our world today, but it's biblical. And so Jesus is going to show great mercy to this man blind. And the only way he can do it is get him outside of Bethsaida because they're an unrepented people that just want to see another sign and be scintillated by some exotic move of this miracle prophet. And so outside the town, spitting on him. Understanding that, that the spittle is also representative of shame. He's given a message to this man that this isn't just about me proving to you that I'm a healer. But there is a need for you to bow your knee in repentance. That what I'm going to do for you will change your life and give you sight. But you've got to have more than the temporal. You've got to have a change in your life. And so this is where we find ourselves. As the journey progresses, Jesus touches him, puts his hands upon him. And speaks to this man and asks him, what do you see? Can you see? And when the man speaks, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. For he said, yeah, I see. I see men like trees walking. Now, that's just cray-cray. It don't matter which way you look at it. That doesn't make any sense at all. Men don't look like trees and trees don't walk. He has visual sight but he cannot explain what he's seeing. I have now spent the majority of my time basing out of Atlanta, Georgia area. And I have heard a story that happened back in the 90s. I believe Hollywood got a hold of it and made it some, some movie. And of course they distorted the truth like they like to do to make it sensational. But this was a time when uh, new medical breakthroughs were happening in organ transplanting. And there was a man that had lived in Georgia for some time. His name was Cheryl. Cheryl Jennings. And Cheryl had been blind from the time that he was three. He was born with sight, but then he, he got 
three or four diseases when he was three or four years old. I think one of them was uh, cat scratch fever. I thought that was a dance, but evidently that was some kind of disease back in the day. And, and a couple of other, meningitis maybe, a couple of other diseases. And while his fever burned so high, it burned the retina of his eyes. So he recovered, but he never saw again from the time that he was three. He, his family was bold, and that day you didn't have special service. They just sent him to public school and all the cruelty of bullies and stuff he was raised with. But he learned to deal with who he was in his life and went through his high school, married his sweetheart, and they had children. And now his children were moving out and having children. And there's this new discovery that they can transplant retinas. And so his wife speaks to him and says, Honey, this is an opportunity for you to see. Don't you want to see me? Or our children? Or our grandbabies? Yes, I think we'll go check it out. Just a grandbaby joke for all of us. And so they went and found out that he was an excellent candidate for this particular trans transplant. They did the surgery. They actually did both eyes at once because when you're blind, they're not worried about making you go blind. So they did both at once. And he's got patches on his eyes because as the scars heal, it would take some time for him to be able to wake up the system, the optical system. Finally, the day had come and he has his wife with him and they are at the doctor's office. The doctor's going to remove the gauze and he's going to see for the first time since he was just a toddler. And he's wanting the first thing that he sees to be his beloved wife of all these years. But as the doctor is removing the gauze and cleaning up the eyes a little bit, he says, open your eyes. And at that time, the doctor's power tie fell in the face of Cheryl. And the first thing he saw was brilliant yellows and oranges of a tie. But then he looked quickly to where his wife was standing beside his bed. And when he looked at her, there was a look of expectation. But then the expectation went to confusion and then it went to fright and great fear not because she was so ugly <laughs> but because he had no idea who this woman was standing beside him she saw the confusion and she grabbed his hand and said Cheryl it's me and when she spoke the voice that he knew so well he could accompany with the new visions that he was seeing and realized that's my wife. When he felt the touch of his beloved, then he realized that what I'm looking at, it's something I have never seen before, but I'm comfortable with what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling, and therefore I can determine the vision is what I need to be looking at. When we move into new years, God is so good to take the mindset that we have and begin to let this Western idea of New Year's be a new beginning for us. So he speaks to us of new visions, of new opportunities, of new spiritual authorities, of new miracle signs and wonders. But these are things that we have not experienced before, only to small degrees. And so really we're looking, we're envisioning something that we don't have a lot of memory for. Cheryl Jennings left the doctor's office and he's trying to lead his wife now that he could see. 
They get to the corner of the street and they're ready to cross. And he looks up and he sees a mass of metal hurtling down the sidewalk to wear them out. And he begins to try to move. And she says, honey, close your eyes. He closes his eyes and he can hear That car is not on the sidewalk. It's not even on the lane beside the sidewalk. It's clear on the other side. What he deals with the most in the early time of opening his eyes is that he had no spatial dimension. He struggled with depth and perception. For the next six months, he stumbles upstairs. He falls downstairs. He's continually doing that because he's struggling with depth and perception. When, when we grow up and we understand our vision, we look at steps and know that they are dimensions and depths because of shadows. I see the shadow that's off the top of this step shining on the second step. And because I see that shadow, I instantly can step down six and a half, seven inches knowing that that's a depth. He sees the same thing we see, Cheryl does, but he doesn't understand depths. The only way that depth gets put into your life is through shadow times. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not meant to destroy us. It's meant to deepen us and give us greater understanding and to operate in greater faith. I've seen way too many of my peers get in a shadow time of their life and start looking to the left and to the right because they can't see where they're going. It's like night. But if you can't see where you're going when you did have the vision, keep going in the way when you could see clearly. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Because it's in shadow times that you learn depth and dimension. It's when you go through the most troubling times of your life that compassion is deepened within you. It's when you struggle with some of the most hurtful and confusing times that anointing is created within you. Compassion rises within you when you recognize in others some of the journey that you have been to yourself. Depths and dimensions. Cheryl Jennings, amazed at all these things he's seeing, but... What amazed him most were trees. Can you imagine that? Trees. Cheryl said that when he'd always, he'd always felt the Georgia pine and knew the smell of the green thistles and the felt prickly of the pine cones and, and the breeze through the... He, he, he felt all that, but when he opened his eyes to see a pine tree, putting his hands on the rough bark, he looked up at the tree and he said... It looked like the tree reached all the way up into heaven. And then as a cumulus cloud was drifting by in the background, he said he got nauseated because it looked like the tree he was holding on to was walking across the sky. He's dealing with a problem of depth perception. He has no visual memory. But isn't that a strange statement? Trees walking. This is the way our mind works. When we see something, our optic system takes a picture of it and stores it in our brain. That's our memory. So when we see something again, goes right back to that file and pulls it up. You're seeing a car. You're seeing a tree. 
and we have visual memory spaces. If you've never seen something before, your optic system pulls it into your brain. It goes back to the file. Nothing there. And you've got no visual memory of what's happening. Cheryl Jennings had to struggle with visual memory because he's seeing things he has never seen before. And he's not understanding depths. He's not understanding trees. He's not understanding anything. He sees it as good as me and you, but he's struggling. I believe this is what's happening in this story. There are some that have preached about the second touch. And I believe we need to keep preaching that because we need second touches and third touches and fourth and fifth and hundreds of touches. But I do understand that Jesus did not have half power that day. He had not so depleted his miracle working that he couldn't do a full work to this man. There is more than just a depletion, but this is an understanding and a revelation for us. So Jesus heals the man, and he can see 2020, but because of the word restored that we see later in the passage, we're speaking of something that had to be filed, something that had to be filled, something that had to be born again in his brain or in his mind. And so here we find him struggling with these things. Can you see aught? I see men like trees walking. Jesus touches him the second time and causes him to look up. And now he can see men clearly. Sometimes we are critical of others because their experience is not just like ours. Well, when I got the Holy Ghost, I never drank again. That's awesome. But that's not everybody's testimony. Well, when I spoke in tongues, I never picked up a cigarette. I never looked at putting... That is awesome. We're so glad for that journey that God has in you. But others of us, And because we put that mindset out, we heap condemnation on ourselves. Well, do I really have the Holy Ghost because I'm still struggling in areas? How many of you are Bible study teachers? That's not enough. God is going to use Bible study teaching to bring a harvest and a revival through this church. We need some Bible study teachers. If you don't know how to teach... Somebody will teach you how to teach. (laughs) Do you feel that in the Holy Ghost? God's going to give us revival and harvest through Bible studies. Mm. If you're teaching Bible studies, no matter what it might be, you get a few lessons in perhaps, and all of a sudden your individual that you're speaking to, a light will go off. Boom. And they'll be like... There's one God. And you'll be like, duh. Been telling you that for every lesson since we've been together. And they had to have a light come on for themselves. They had to have the revelation as we spoke about this morning for themselves. And until they got into a position where you wet their appetite where you salted their oats where you made them thirsty and hungry by a little bit of the word then they weren't hungry enough to pursue it and go for it 
And when they pursue and go for it, then they begin to receive what they need. We have precious people among us that repent of their sins. They are baptized in Jesus' name, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and don't know anything about the oneness of God. We've got people that have had the Holy Ghost for years and still struggle with nicotine addictions. Well, if they had the real Holy Ghost, they have the real Holy Ghost. But their journey is a little different than your journey. Because of their experience and where they come from, God is doing other things in their life, not just delivering them of something that they've been addicted to. It's why we shouldn't be critical of anybody's personal journey. Because it is a personal journey. And God is leading each and every one of us through the wisdom that He has to the place that we need to be. I've seen individuals so condemned that they quit going to church because other people's testimony was not their testimony. The Bible begins to tell us in the New Covenant Testament that there are seven mysteries. Does that seem strange? Why would the gospel have mysteries in it? You know, Jesus did all of his teaching in parables. And one day in particular, he was teaching parables, and the disciples came away and said, my God, he shucked the corn today. Woo! He was pontificating, and, and they... Uh, said it was great but I don't have any idea what he was saying <laughs> you ever felt like that after church sometimes and then they asked him why don't you just say it plain why do you speak in mysteries and parables and he said it's not given to the masses to understand the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom doesn't that seem strange Paul said it this way. He said, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. What? That there is more the intention of God than just to get a salvation experience and get us into heaven. In fact, this is all about relationship. And when you repent of your sins and He forgives you, you're baptized in Jesus' name and He washes you and you yield and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. This is just the beginning. God is coming back for a bride. He's not going to marry a baby. But he's going to marry someone that has been born into the kingdom and made their self ready. Wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Position themselves to know what their lover wants and make their lives to appeal to him. This is absolutely a seduction. He is seducing us with his love and his mercy. And if you fall in love with him, you chase him like some blind, love-struck individual. When we choose not to do that, why would a potential lover want to have anything to do with us that are not pursuing him that loved us so much? So there's mysteries in the kingdom. It's not 
well, don't pass go and do pass go and all the rules of the game board that you can do. And if you follow the rules, everything is hunky-dory. No. He's not looking for someone that follows the rules. He's looking for someone that is interested in a deep relationship with him. So seven mysteries. One of these mysteries is the great God in Christ that we were referring to this morning. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in Christ. There's the mystery of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is a great mystery. You want to know why everybody doesn't have the revelation of oneness? It's a mystery. And unless you position yourself personally where you desperately want to know him and you want to understand and you want, then you're just not going to have the mystery. You're going to have shallow whatever. You want to know why everybody doesn't have the Holy Ghost? It's a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory is a mystery. Mystery of the body of Christ. That's one we need to learn. Because when we learn how valuable my brother is to me, Mystery of Israel's blindness, Romans eleven twenty five. 25. Mystery of the rapture, behold, I show you a mystery we shall not also. It's a mystery. And until the time of it being revealed and fulfilled, we're just not going to understand it. Mystery of the Antichrist in the world today. Mystery of Babylon the Great, on and on. There are mysteries that are in the New Testament because God doesn't just want some individual to follow the rules and check off and okay, I'm going to heaven. He's interested in wooing somebody to fall in love with Him so that they'll prepare themselves and make themselves the bride of Christ. So oftentimes, the journey is uniquely different as the individual is. And some of us have to go through things where we hear the traditions of what we are living with in organization or religiosity and condemnation is heaped upon us and it's not of God. It's of individuals. It's of religiosity. But we have to come to the understanding that we are unique in our journey. So if somebody else had a different testimony, that is so awesome. We're so thankful. But so many of us have received the real gift of the Holy Ghost and need a complete restoration. There's a demand of the Holy Ghost that going into 23, we're going to be seeing things we've never seen before in the Spirit. A level of revival we have never seen in our generation. The gifts of the operation of the Spirit we have never experienced among us in our generation. And God is calling us to these great ministries, these great callings, these great anointings. But we've got to get from where we are to where He's calling us. And the struggle is we've got no visual memory. These are things that we have never seen in the Spirit. And we're experiencing different things in the Holy Ghost. And we're trying to understand, is this of God? Is this where I need to go? Is this God speaking? Is this God delivering? The way that you always know His voice is that you hear, feel His touch. And you hear His voice. 
And when that's congruent to the Word of God and to your experience, then you see the vision that He's allowing you to see in the presence and in the touch and in the voice of what He speaks to you. So as God begins to prepare all of us to move into this great dimension of revival and harvest and supernatural act point that He wants to give us this year in 2023, my question is simply this. Are we willing enough to get past all kind of condemnation, confusion, and admit, I need a restoration spiritually? Because I don't want to miss what's happening. And while others may want to float, I want to know the mysteries and the deep things and the secret things of the kingdom of God. And if in you is this hope and this hunger, then there has to come an understanding. We're going to need a little shame because we've gotten way too comfortable with where we're at. I'm not talking about sinning and going to hell. I'm talking about being comfortable and living in this world to the degree that we do not pursue and hunger and go after what the Spirit is saying. I don't know if there's going to be a little spittle in your eyes today for you to examine yourself and ask God if I come too content with where I'm at. Have I floated through 2022 and blamed things on pandemics and this and that and the woke and all this stuff and just going to float? Or is it time for me as a child of God to stand up with commitment, with a sure voice, and begin to be what you have called me to be. We've got way too many ministries that are doing everything except ministering. I'm not just talking about laying hands on a few heads in the altar. I'm talking about your lifestyle being a lifestyle of ministry. We've got way too many saints of God that are just trying to go to heaven. Instead of trying to pursue Him with all your heart, your spirit, might, and strength. And we got some individuals that just for the sake of their walk with God need a second touch so that addictions and sickness and fears and angers that the Father will deliver you today. What I touched this morning is again what I'm touching today. I want you to stand with me. I want you to examine your heart. I know that there's been a few distractions that have been in the place. That's all right. Because if you're really hungry, you'll, you'll try to move past all the distractions. And hear the word of God, not just try to set through a service. It's going to be a little, little bit of a spittle. Just a little bit. But I'm going to deal with some physical things first. If you're a child of God, if God has filled you with the Holy Ghost, if you have spoken other tongues, that's who I'm talking to right now, but you still struggle with addictions, whether that's drugs or prescription drugs that you're abusing, whether it's pornography or emotional addictions that you have, and you realize you can't be comfortable with where you are, 
you need deliverance. You are a child of God. You are a tongue talker. But your journey has brought you a long ways around. And now it's time for a second touch. If you are a child of God. If God has filled you with His Spirit. But you're still dealing with fears. And anguishes and stress. You got suicidal thoughts that come to your mindset. And these things plague you. You're a child of God. But you're still struggling. It's not the will of our Heavenly Father that you continue to struggle. This is a journey that you've been on. And now it's time for a second touch. If your ministry. You know that He called you. He chose you. He anointed you. But you're not seeing any open doors. Your vision, you're not seeing any open doors. And you need to see how God wants to use you in this year. I'm speaking to you as well. And I'm giving an altar call for these three groups of people. You're a Holy Ghost filled child of God, but you need some deliverance. You're a Holy Ghost filled child of God, but you need some vision for your ministry. You're a Holy Ghost child of God. We're going to try not to single anybody out, so we'll all do this together. But God has given me a word of wisdom to operate in in this altar service. So I want all of us, not all of us are dealing with this, but all of us will do this so that no one is separated. If you deal with anxiety, stress, fear, suicidal thoughts, I want you to put your hand on your head. Everybody's going to do it. It's not just going to point you out. Everybody's doing it. And I want you to state that you are a child of a heavenly father. And that you're ready to be touched by his delivering hand today. Keep your hand there. By the authority of the word of God, I rebuke anxiety. I rebuke fear. Yeah. Fear come back from the pits of hell where you came from and visit the demons from which have tried to put into our minds and our spirits. I rebuke the spirit of suicide. It will not consume the people of God. I rebuke pornography's addiction. I rebuke it by the power of the name of Jesus. It loses its appeal to our godly mind and godly heart.
Would you take your hand and just put it close by your mouth? Everybody don't have to be sucking on their fingers here, but put it close by your mouth. Father, we're your children. We've been filled with the Spirit, spoken tongues with the Holy Ghost came. But we need a second touch for our taste. That the taste of this world becomes nauseated to us. And the taste of the spiritual becomes appealing. Craving the things of God. That the entertainment of this world and all the things that it does begin to fade away. Put a hand close to your ear. This is physical ears and physical mouths, but I'm speaking to the spiritual ears. Father, give us dreams in the nighttime so that we can hear your voice. Let us hear the audible voice of God as we drive down the road and you speak to us. Let our prayer rooms be filled with meditation and we hear and know God delivering and speaking to us. Let our ears hear. Now I pray for your eyes. I pray for your eyes and the vision, Father, that you are giving us to go where the church has never been before. What has been prophesied for generations of the greatest outpouring, the former and the latter reign together, where all the gifts of the Spirit will be revived to their full power, to their full import, where the ministry of the Holy Ghost will operate everywhere we go, not just in church. That the vision began to be seen, Father. What lives in us and what grows in us, we are spiritual and we are physical. But in the spiritual, what grows in us is what we feed. If we feed things of this world, then our desire for the things of this world grows. It's about our appetite. But the appetite in the physical operates very much like appetite in the spiritual. You get an appetite for something by tasting it and experiencing it. But once you begin to get that particular taste out of your system, out of the operation of your habits, you lose an appetite for it. And then you can't even stand the taste of it. I was a Diet Coke drinker for years. Someone finally convinced me how bad it was for me. I got off a of Diet Coke. I can't taste, I can't, I can't stand the taste of it now. In fact, I hated water. 
Now that's all I drink. Because I changed what I was tasting in my appetite. God's going to call us in 2023 to get some different appetites. Put your hand just right there on your abdomen region. Father, as we begin to change what we are intaking into our spirit, would you let the desires we had of the temple of the carnal begin to fade? And would you let spiritual desires grow in us? Let us hunger for your word. Let us hunger for communication and prayer with you. Let us hunger for worship. Let us hunger to minister and to love others. And let the things of this world grow strangely dim as we hunger for you. I pray for our appetites to change this beginning of 2023. Change what we eat and who we are. Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to lift up your hands and just begin to pray in the Spirit. I'm going to speak some words of faith over you. I'm going to get out of the microphone, but would you lift your hands right now and just begin to pray in the Spirit. I loose you by the power of the Holy Ghost and your relationship with God. You have liberty right now to pray in the Spirit. Build up your most holy faith. Those of you who know how to intercede, go ahead and let intercession begin to move and throw, flow through you. It was already happening in the altar earlier, but let intercession begin to flow through you. <laughs> now look up. Look up towards spiritual things and be touched by the hand of Jesus again and let a recovery, let a restoration happen to you right now by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Restoration, recovery, healing in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Everybody's praying in the Spirit one more time. If you have never received the Holy Ghost, lift up your hands and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost while we're praying in the Spirit. I loose and receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Receiving the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. Jesus name. Jesus name. Would you linger in that altar for just a little while as the ministry moves among us? Would you linger in that prayer and that intercession for just a little while? Let God direct you ministry and use you. If you're a guest minister or you're a visiting minister, help us in the altar. Lay hands on as many people as you can touch and let restoration and recovery be your, be your prayer. Let the Spirit of God speak through you right now in the name of Jesus.
Help us with worship for just a little while, my brother.
It's not about me. I decrease as you increase. It's all about me. It's not about me. I decrease as you increase. It's all about you. It's not about me. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's not about me. It's all about you. It's all about me. Holy Spirit, break us. Come and overtake us. You're the one we're living for. Holy Spirit, lead us. Your heart, oh Jesus, there is nothing we want more. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, break us, come and overtake us. You're the one we're living for. Holy Spirit, lead us to your heart, oh Jesus. Jesus, there is nothing we want more. We want more. We want more. We want more.
is no one like you. There is none beside.